the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park, W262CP Bayonet Point. Brought to you by Moss Nissan. Simply portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Odyssey. The following program was pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. When Jesus died, he paid our debt in full because he experienced eternal hell for us. God's holiness was satisfied. When Jesus said it's finished, he meant you can't add to salvation. The work is done. The payment is is made. You can't answer this. And that's that's tremendous for us to understand. There are people who, who are trying to work their way into heaven, and yet Jesus said it's finished. Listen, you can't add anything to what is finished. In fact, I would go so far as to say that if you add to something that is finished, you corrupt it as if you used a magic marker to draw a mustache on the Mona Lisa's face. To attempt to add to what Jesus did on the cross is a far more serious crime than defacing a priceless painting. Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our lesson today is the middle of a three-part message which will conclude Pastor Steve's teaching series on the significance of the cross. There were several highly significant events that took place during the crucifixion. Among them were some statements made by Jesus. While on the cross, he made some of the most important comments ever spoken. A careful study of these final verses of Mark chapter 15 will reveal to us much of the heart of God as well as the heart of mankind. The contrast is extreme. Let's go to the Word of God now and see how these statements by Jesus just might revolutionize our ideas about how to get to heaven. Here's Pastor Steve. Now the second event is the declaration of agony. Verse 34. At the ninth hour, so this is the end of the darkness, the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. And Mark translates it for his Roman readers, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You see, for those three hours, in a way that no one can fully comprehend, let me just stop to to encourage you, no one can fully comprehend what we're about to look at. In fact, we're told that Martin Luther supposedly went into seclusion for a long time trying to comprehend the concept of of this very thing and came away sometime later just as confused as when he entered that seclusion. Nobody fully understands what I'm about to tell you. Nobody fully grasps that. Only the Father and the Son and the Spirit of God can fully comprehend this. But for those three hours, God the Father abandoned God the Son. He abandoned him. He was forsaken, Jesus was forsaken by the Father in the sense that the Father turned his back on his own Son. It's not that the Son ceased to be God. It's not that he ceased to be part of the the triunity or trinity of God. 
It's just that at that time, for the first time in eternity, their fellowship was broken. For he who knew no sin, he who had never experienced sin, never had a sinful thought, never a sinful action, for, that, for, for those three hours, he became sin for us. Not only was he dying in our place, but he actually became sin for us. Their fellowship was broken. There was a spiritual separation that had never taken place. Can you imagine for all of eternity, for before we were, God is the only one who is. If you think enough about that, it'll blow your mind. God is. And they had never had a moment between them where they had broken fellowship. Never. But now it happened. And it was sin that did it. But it was not Christ's sin. Our sin. See, Isaiah 53.5 says he was wounded for our transgressions. Galatians 3.13 says he became a curse for us. 1 Corinthians 15.3 says Christ died for our sins. Mark 10.45 says that he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for us. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says that he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And then right after that, 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in, in order that he might bring us to God. God the Father had to turn his back on his Son because the Bible says that in Habakkuk 1.13 that God is of purer eyes than to look upon sin with favor. God couldn't even look with favor upon his own son because at that moment, for those three hours, he was sin in our place. See, the words of Jesus express the depth of his sufferings. That's why he prayed so violently in the Garden of Gethsemane. It wasn't that he feared the physical torture of crucifixion as much as he, as he feared, and that's probably not a good word, fear, but uh, that he did not look forward and the anguish and agony of knowing that he would face Separation from God the Father. That's the pain of the cross for Christ. Many people died by crucifixion. Many people. That wasn't special on that day. I told you last week about 30,000 alone had been crucified in, by the Romans in Israel. But no one had experienced a death like this. Where he who knew intimate fellowship for all of eternity had that fellowship broken. We can't comprehend that. I can't comprehend that. So the words of Christ express the depth of his sufferings and agony as the Father turned from him and Jesus experienced no intimate fellowship with the Father for the first time ever. And I want you to know that Jesus didn't simply feel alone. He was alone. He was alone. He didn't simply feel abandoned. He was abandoned. So abandoned by God, and this is the, this is the true consequence and price of sin. It is aloneness. You know, I've had people say to me as I've shared the gospel with them, listen, Hell can't be that bad. I'm going to be with my buddies in hell. No, you're not. No, you're not. The Bible speaks of it as separation, not only from God, but from other people. It is isolation. It is separation. It is torment. The Bible calls it outer darkness. No, you're not going to be having a, a, a good old time with your, your buddies, you know, the good old boys and gals down there. No. No, it's not the way the Bible puts it. 2 Thessalonians tells us the way the Bible puts it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, speaking of, of when Christ comes back and he pours out his wrath on those who have rejected him. And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That's what hell is. Away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of, of his power. It is being totally 
alone. And that's what Jesus experienced. He tasted hell, the Bible says, for every man, for that is hell. What he went through was hell. And being an eternal being, he tasted it for us, even though it was for three hours and not in a, in a quantity time of eternity. What does that say to us? Well, it says to me the next time we take sin lightly or just uh, uh, persuade ourselves that, you know, our sin isn't too significant, it's not going to hurt anybody that seriously, we need to remember Christ's words on the cross. Next time you think, well, I'll just sin and can, you know, I'll confess it. It's okay. I can say it's not okay. Jesus went through the agony of agonies so that we might fellowship with God. You see, he had his fellowship broken so that we don't ever have to have fellowship broken. Christ's sufferings brought broken communion so that we might never have to have broken communion. And we need to see sin in that light. He was forsaken so that you and I would never be forsaken. Therefore, it is spiritual absurdity and stupidity to take sin lightly and disrupt our fellowship with God. It costs too much for him to bring us to God. So don't take lightly. You know, well, I'm, I'm, you know people have said glibly to me, well, I'm a carnal Christian, kind of like that's another category. It's okay. I'm going to make it. It's not okay. It's wrong. Jesus Christ died on the cross so that you might live to the glory of God and never have fellowship broken. And we who, who emphasize so quickly the grace of God, and we ought to emphasize the grace of God, we also need to balance it with an understanding that salvation did cost. Maybe it didn't cost us, but it cost Jesus Christ everything. So we need to balance that. So don't, don't go in for cheap grace in the sense that I'll sin, it's okay, I can confess it. It's not okay. Jesus suffered hell so that we might never suffer hell. Now notice once again verse 34. The Aramaic words that Jesus used to express his agony of separation from the Father were Eloi, Eloi, which means my God, my God. It's an Aramaic, a form of Hebrew. It's like... Uh, Eli or Eli, but Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God. And then he said, Lama Sabachthani, which is translated, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, this is a familiar quote from Psalm 22, verse 1. But notice how the bystanders who heard Jesus cry reacted to his words. And you may be surprised. You may have read this many times and thought that they were just very sincere people. They were not. Notice verse 35. When some of the bystanders heard it, they began saying, behold, he's calling for Elijah. You may think, uh, well, they just misunderstood. There's no way they misunderstood. There's no way. These people spoke Aramaic. They knew what he was saying. Eloi, Eloi does not sound in that language a whole lot like Elijah. You may think it does, but it's not. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and said, this was not a whisper. They heard it clearly. They heard Eloi, Eloi. They didn't hear Elijah, however you would say that in Aramaic. A loud cry means that his words were clearly heard. Also, they were familiar with Psalm 22, verse 1, which is what he's quoting. And the Jewish people all around knew Aramaic. No, there's no mistaking this. You know what this was? This is one more example of cruel mockery. They made no mistake. They were making a joke out of Christ's words, and I'll tell you why. Elijah is spoken of in, in Jewish thinking and in, in biblical framework as the one who will introduce the Messiah. Malachi says that before that great and terrible day of the Lord, Elijah will come. And so in associating Jesus with Elijah, 
this people are mocking Christ's claim to be Messiah. Also, in popular Jewish belief, not in the Bible, but popular Jewish belief taught that Elijah would come in terms of, in, in times of distress to deliver those who were suffering and yet they were righteous. So they're just mocking Christ. They're, they're just mocking Christ. They are, uh, they are saying, oh, let's, let's see if Elijah comes. Yeah, anybody, they knew he wasn't calling for Elijah. It's just a mockery. Now, at this point, John 19, 28 tells us that Jesus said, I thirst. I'm thirsty. I'm thirsty. And that's why Mark 15, verse 36 says, and someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave him a drink, saying, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. This was probably a Roman soldier probably a Roman soldier, who took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, put the sponge on a stick, and lifted it to the lips of Jesus. He wasn't that high off the ground. Someone said these reeds were only about 18 inches, so, uh, so he really wasn't that high off the ground. Now, this was a, this was a cheap wine that soldiers used, uh, highly diluted with water, with a low alcoholic content. Its primary purpose was to quench thirst. And having given Christ the sponge to suck up some moisture, the soldier joined in the mockery of Jesus by saying, let us see whether Elijah comes to his rescue. He just joined in the mockery. You know, I I read that and I think it is remarkable, just absolutely remarkable how hardened people could be. They saw the darkness. They heard what he was crying, crying out. They knew Psalm 22, verse 1. And yet they, you would think that, that the darkness and, all, and the eerie effect of all that would get them to think, maybe he is Messiah. But you see, unbelief is very hardened. Unbelief is very wicked. Uh, don't misunderstand unbelief. Unbelief exists not because there's not evidence to change their unbelief. Unbelief exists because men love their sin. And even with, with what was going on around them, these people are still hardened because hatred for Christ runs deep and love for sin runs deep. So with his lips moistened, Jesus is now ready to clearly articulate his last words. So we've seen the darkness, which which speaks of judgment. We've seen the declaration of, of agony, which speaks that Christ was judged in our place. He tasted hell for us. Now we see his death. We see his death, verse 37. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last Just before Jesus died, we're told that he cried out with a loud voice. Now, do we know what he said? Mark doesn't tell us what he said, but other gospel writers tell us what he said. There were two statements he made. First, in John 19.30, we're told that he said, it is finished. It's a shout of triumph. It's finished. The work that the Father has sent me to do, I finished it. Redemption has been completed. It's a shout of great triumph. Jesus had finished the work of redemption. The divine servant had carry out, has carried out his assignment, and he said, it's finished. It's over. But it goes deeper than that. It's not simply saying it's finished. The work is done. The Greek word that is translated, it is finished, is, is really one word in the original language. It means the debt is paid. The debt is paid. That's a tremendous concept because it was a word used in Greek commercial life around the Mediterranean, usually used by by merchants, as a way of saying, you don't owe me anything anymore. You've paid the debt. Debt is paid. The payment is complete. The transaction is done. Listen, that, that gives us tremendous insight into Christ's death and what he's saying. Sin 
has made us debtors to God, a, a debt that we could not pay. We're debtors to God, and the wages of sin is death, not just physically dying, but death is eternal separation, spiritual separation from God. Hell is forever paying the price of sin. That's what hell is about. Hell is forever paying the price of sin, which can never fully be paid by anybody. Anybody here? You, that's why it's forever. You have a debt that you cannot pay. Go on and on and on for all of eternity, and you cannot repay the debt of offending a holy God. But Christ did, because he is an eternal being. He is the God-man. And when he died, he completely paid that debt. Transaction was made. Someone said this, we owed a debt we could not pay. Jesus paid a debt he did not owe. That's the gospel. That's it. When Jesus died, he paid our debt in full because he experienced eternal hell for us. God's holiness was satisfied. When Jesus said it's finished, he meant you can't add to salvation. The work is done. The payment is, is made. You can't add to this. And that's, that's tremendous for us to understand. There are people who, who are trying to work their way into heaven, and yet Jesus said it's finished. Listen, you can't add anything to what is finished. The great missionary Hudson Taylor, for much of his young life, he was a great pioneer missionary to China, for much of his young life was not a Christian. And one day when his mother left him alone, I guess she went out somewhere, and uh, he went into the, the, the family library, and he started reading a book, a theology book. And he came to a point where he read, and there was an explanation there, that Jesus said, it's finished. And on, on young Hudson Taylor's mind, it dawned, well, wait a minute. If it's finished, then I can't add to the work. It's done. He said, then I'm simply going to rest and trust in the, in the finished work of Christ. It's complete. There's nothing more for me to do except embrace what he's done. And he did that. And that's exactly what it takes to, to come to salvation. It is trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. It is not trusting in Christ and baptism. It is not trusting in Christ and good works. It is trusting in Jesus Christ alone, period, for salvation. It is seeing that he and, and the work he did on the cross is sufficient for you to go to heaven. He is the only way to heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but what? Through me. And he means through, through me and the work that I've done. You just trust the finished work of Christ to be sufficient for your salvation. You see, it's a terrible insult to the, the work of Christ on the cross to try to add to it. It's a terrible insult. It's a slap in the face. And I've spoken to people who will tell me, well, uh, yeah, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, but I still have to do something. No, you don't have to do anything but trust what he's done. Now, after you know him, you need to obey him. But the motives are different now. It's like before you got married, you did everything to impress that person you wanted to marry. That was your motive. But after you're married, I trust there's a different motive. It's now. I do these things. At least you should continue to be kind and loving, not because I'm trying to gain their acceptance and their love, but now I do it simply out of love for that person. That's why Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. But that's for a disciple. That's for a believer. You cannot add to salvation. It's finished. So we, we must not insult the work of Christ on the cross. Our work has absolutely nothing to do with salvation. If it did, then why did Jesus have to come and die for us? I've said that to people who have told me that, well, I think I still have to do things. I said, them, then why did Christ die for our sins if you could do it all? Well, they don't have the answer to that. 
It's because there is no, no reasonable answer to that. The Bible says that it's finished. Don't add to it. You can't add to it. You just embrace what he's done. But Jesus said something, something else just before he died. There were two statements. And in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, we're told, he said this, Jesus crying out with a loud voice said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And then Luke says, and having said this, he breathed his last. So he committed his spirit to the Father. Now Mark's gospel doesn't tell us the specifics of Christ's last words. It just says that Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. But Matthew tells us, listen to this, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. So not only did he cry out, and he cried out making those two statements, it's finished and I commit my spirit to you, but the Bible says he yielded up his spirit. That is incredible. It's incredible. Uh, It may not strike you as being odd at first, but that's because you're not familiar with crucifixion. Nobody who was crucified did anything like this. People who had undergone scourging, we're told, and then cruel beatings, and then the agony of crucifixion, normally didn't have strength to cry out loud. And the Bible says he specifically cried out loud. It was not a whisper. He had the strength to cry out loud. And then they certainly did not yield up their spirit. In fact, nobody has yielded up their spirit. Nobody. No one here will ever yield up their spirit. It'll be taken from you. Christ's death was not normal because his life wasn't taken from him. He gave it. Literally, he gave it. He yielded up, which means to to surrender, to, to give up. You see, crucified victims would die a very slow death, very slow death, their life gradually fading from them, life ebbing away from them, usually two or three days on the cross and then extreme exhaustion, and then they slipped into a coma. That's why after the death of Christ, which only took those, those six hours, after the death of Christ, and they wanted to bury Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea came to Pilate, and Pilate said, make sure he's dead, because he was surprised. People didn't die in six hours. But not so with Christ. His life was not normal and his death was not normal. At the end, he was strong enough to shout out loud and he surrendered his spirit to death. No one took his life from him. Do you realize that? In John chapter 10, Jesus had predicted this. John chapter 10, verse 18. He said, as he spoke about being the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep, he said, no one has taken it away from me. No one takes my life from me. But I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again, meaning the resurrection. This commandment I have received from my Father. No one took Christ's life. Listen, if he didn't give up his life, he would have never died. You realize that? He would have never died. He was fully conscious, he shouted, and he yielded his spirit. If Jesus didn't yield his life, no one could have taken it from him. No one. He had to give it up, because man just doesn't have that authority to take Christ's life. We sometimes hear debate about who killed Christ. Was it the Jews? Was it the Romans? Or was it you and me? The fact is that no one killed him. He surrendered his life. The Romans crucified him at the instigation of the Jewish leadership, according to the sovereignty of God. Jesus knew the cross was in his future from before the beginning of time. He knew that that was the only way to redeem us. Paul wrote in Colossians 2, 13 and 14, And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, 
having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. And that was his plan from the beginning. You've been listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Pastor Steve will conclude this three-part message about the significance of the cross on our next program. These daily radio Bible classes are an extension of his teaching ministry. They come to your radio through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of listeners who are first faithful to their own local church. If you would like to become a part of our support team, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. In the top right part of the home page is a link to more information about how and why you might give financially to keep us on the air. Let me mention two other important links on that front page. One will play today's lesson in case you want to hear it again. Another of the links will take you to the archives page where you can choose from hundreds of previous classes to download or listen to online. That's versebyverseradio.org. For those who like to hear a message all at one time and not in three parts, we make CDs and audio cassettes available for order by telephone. Call us at 727-239-0306. Leave your name and phone number and we will call you back during regular office hours. That number again is 727-239-0306. There is yet another event that took place while Jesus was on the cross. And it symbolizes a radical... Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.